ஹனுமான் ஜம்ப் ஓவர் தி த்ரூ ஹிஸ் இன் ராமர்ஸ் நேம் பட் ராமர் ஹிம்செல்ஃப் had to build a bridge if a man has faith in god then he need not be afraid though he may have committed sin nay the vilest sin then sri ramakrishna sang a song glorifying the power of faith if only i can pass away repeating durga's name how can thou then o blessed one withhold from me deliverance wretched though i may be so here we find the concept of the nama mahatmya in our scriptures especially in the bhakti shastras the nama mahatmya the greatness the efficacy of god's name has been praised a lot has been so the idea behind this the glorification of the name of god is the idea is nam nami abhed the name and the one who is signified by that name it is identical when you take the name immediately you remember the qualities of that person not only that he is as if personified in his name why it has been so much stressed but that if for holding on to any abstract idea we need some form of nama some form of name just to give an example that the red flower whatever name we may give it it still remains the red instead of red if i said blue but my perception of the red flower doesn't change whatever nomenclature i give or i don't give any nomenclature at all so for any perceptual knowledge any perceptual knowledge the nomenclature is not important but suppose we give an example that a father is walking down the street with the small child 
the elderly person is walking down the street with a child. Unless someone says that this elderly person is the father of the child, can you ever just by seeing understand that this he's the father? No. So here to signify the relation, the word father is very important. Without that word, just by perceiving the child going along with the elderly person, we can never know that what's the relation between the two. So there the word father becomes very important. So this perceptual knowledge and conceptual knowledge. So for any perceptual knowledge, the name or the nomenclature is in no way important. That even without any nomenclature, it deep and dumb the way he tests the sugar, even with all sorts of nomenclature, we have the same jnana as per the knowledge is concerned, there's no difference. It cannot does, he, can, he just cannot speak out, I just speak out with the particular nomenclature. But the conceptual knowledge, where the concept that here, God, who is beyond our perception, but who is there as the cause of the entire existence. So without any nomenclature, to relate to him becomes impossible. Just with that name, that nama, all the qualities immediately becomes something palpable. That he or she is the creator of the universe. He or she is sustaining it. He or she, whoever, in whatever way you think of the divine, it may be feminine, it may be the masculine, whatever it may be, that he is there to take care of us. All these ideas are just hidden in that name. So the name becomes extremely powerful. Not only that, as it is something abstract, we will find that we do develop through practice, a sense of association with the divine. A devotee who has ripened in devotion, just by taking the name, immediately he feels he's in association with the divine. So that's why the Nam and Nami becomes Abhed. Just the way nowadays we hear in this COVID, that isolation. What's that isolation is? That I, uh, because as I cannot physically just be in the presence of other person. So that creates a type of mental uh, illness, mental suffering, loneliness, other things develop from that. And that's why we find that the, this, this, to have community engagement is so important. But one thing is very important, even at house, when you are all, we are all staying together, how much time do we really spend with each other's communion? Means we are just conversing with each other. Someone is just present. That presence gives me the feeling of association. That someone is there. It is not the real physical presence. It is the feeling from within that I am in association with someone immediately gives you a type of belonging. So in this tradition, we will find in all the religious tradition that we have forgotten the significance of it. So it is that feeling of association that we develop by constantly thinking of the divine. The divine idea is abstract, but you have developed that faculty to relate to some idea. And that speaks of our psychological well-being. So much of money we are spending nowadays just because 
Some persons are isolated and he has to be in someone's association. So this, this is the called tertiary economy that most of the money is spent just in service, the service economy, that people are there engaged to take care of others because they're in isolation. But for ages together, we will find in all the religious tradition, this faculty they have developed through devotion to be in association with someone, though there is no one, means so-called physically present, but you with that association immediately feel that, uh, what is this, that's comfort, that's you feel that your comfort, you're secure, that comfort zone, the, the God becomes your comfort zone, God becomes your security zone. And that's the thing which gives tremendous strength, poise. Not only that, it is a, such an association where with that, the idea of holiness is linked. In all other worldly association, it can even pollute my mind. But here, when I'm thinking of the divine, it's linked with all the ideas which speaks of holiness. In the mind, can never do multitasking. We think that the mind can do multitasking. It isn't, the mind can never do multitasking. It can focus only at one thing at a time. When we are doing multitasking, what is the happening actually? The mind is jumping from one activity to activity, other activity at a very fast pace, giving me an impression I'm doing all the things together. And that's why the quality of the work is affected because we can never as such give full at, at attention to anything at one moment. Uh, just it, it's only one thing we can give. There cannot be two, three things at a moment you can focus. Throughout the day, the mind is jumping from thought to thought. They say we think about 60,000 thoughts per day. So many thoughts we are jumping. But the clue is here. At a time, it cannot have more than one thought. So we find when uh, Swami Yogananda, as a young boy, when he has started visiting Ramakrishna, one day he asked Ramakrishna that I find that my mind will be just uh, getting, uh, what is it, distracted in so many things. How to control that mind? It go, it just thinks some evil thoughts, how to control it. And Sri Ramakrishna told, take the name of Lord. Take the name of Hari. Nothing else is required. And he gave an example, just the way when you are standing beneath a tree and on the, the branches of the tree, a lot of birds are there and you clap your hands, all the birds fly away just by clapping the hands. Similarly, when you take the name of the Lord, all the branches of your mind, all the evil thoughts, they're the birds, like the birds were just sitting. When you take the Lord's name, that's like the clapping, all the evil thoughts will run away. Yogananda is a young boy never believed because he had the idea that there are so many practices like pranayama, yoga, hatha yoga, these complicated practices are there. This Brahmin doesn't know all those things. He's just saying that take the name of the Lord. What's happened? What, what is going to happen? So many people do take the name of the Lord. Does it in any way transform their life? But Sri Ramakrishna read his mind. He told that Please have faith in my words. Take the name of the Lord. Nothing else is required. And Yogananda had a wonderful transformation. 
Swami Vivekananda used to say much later that if anyone among us have really controlled his mind, it is Yogananda. So what's the basic thing here? Very basic principle, the mind at a time can never have more than one thought. If it is thinking something evil, if we willfully start thinking of the divine, of the name of the divine, the moment you take the name, the name is associated with all those good ideas. Immediately the mind is focused on that and all the evil thoughts are bound to wash off. And this is the process of cleansing. So what I have done in the past, that becomes immaterial, that's of no use. The cleansing process starts the moment you resort to the name of the Lord. And the more I take the name of the Lord, thinking that he is present in the, lay, uh, in the name, and I'm trying to associate with him through the name, this increases the devotion. As we say again and again, that in spiritual life, the entire process of spiritual journey can be explained in the modern psychological term with two terms. One is neuroplasticity and another is flow. You know that there's this particular branch in psychology called flow psychology. What's this? That when I do anything repeatedly, when I try to do anything, think anything repeatedly, the mind as if creates a path. Just when we are skiing through the snow, on the, you're skiing on the snow, the way a path is created, similarly a path is created through your mind when you do something repeatedly. And once the path is created, just to traverse that path becomes the tendency of the mind. It likes it. It gets pleasure. First, there was most probably a necessity. And then it forgets about the necessity just to traverse it likes. So this is, that's how we have developed all the obsessions which we have. That out of necessity, we were doing something which we did again and again through lives together. And that has become our obsession. Now, there's no necessity. We go beyond the necessity because we are obsessed. We get pleasure out of it. So the entire spirituality will find whatever may be your belief in any spiritual tradition, what is the common thing in our practice? In our practice, what is the common thing? Repetition. You go to the church, the same prayer is repeated again and again, every Sunday, every day, those who are praying every day, the same prayer. Some syllables they have memorized and that's the thing they're repeating every day. You go to Islam, you go to Hinduism, the mantra japa, in every religion, there is the practice of repeating. Rotate, is repeating the, some syllable with the help of rosary. Rosary is there in all the traditions. Why this repetition? This resorting to that faculty of mind, that neuroplasticity of the mind in a positive way. The neuroplasticity can really affect us in a negative way by converting today's necessity into tomorrow's obsession. Here by repeating the name, you're developing a devotion. And now a time will come that will faculty is no more required. You don't have to force yourself. As the path is created, a liking develops. Just taking the name, it gives you peace of mind, tranquility, a sense of ecstasy. And as it depends, it takes you to a state of flow. That's another subject of psychology. What is that flow? That's the real happiness. Whenever we are in flow, that gives you real happiness. The sense of pleasures can never give us happiness. Because 
there's a limitation of all the sensor pleasures. Suppose you like a particular dish, it is served to you. When you are having it, you may develop the craving for the second. You have your second, most probably you go for the third, but there's a limit. Even if it's your most favorite dish, after second serve or the third serve, now you're satiated. You cannot continue. It's over. Now you've released the plateau. But there's another type of pleasure that's flow. It's not just enjoying the sensor pleasures of life. That is a limitation. It's, it's over. And it makes us obsessed. Again, it will come back next day. The same desire. Again, I have to go for fulfillment and I cannot continue with it. It's just over. So much time it takes for preparing a dish and in five, 10 minutes, it's over. Now you're satiated. What to do? Now the life will be, that's why we find that we get bored with our life because the sense pleasures, so quickly it ends. But there's another type of pleasure for which we have to do some sadhana. Any pleasure, any pleasure which comes through practice, like the one who has developed liking for studies. Most probably as a child, he never liked. He was forced to a certain extent. Parents told, teachers told that this is the thing which is going to build your life. But we find that it is not just because it is going to build his life, not because of that necessity, because of repeatedly doing the same thing, he has developed a liking for studies. Now, whatever that result is now waiting is automatically waiting for him, but he has developed a love for the means. The end will be there for him. He need not have to think of it. And this thing, this liking, how it happened that pre previously through will you were doing again and again, the path has been created. Now, just doing it, you like it. In any musician, at the beginning, he's struggling. The skills he has, he, the skills which is required doesn't meet the challenge. So there's a struggle, but a time comes when the skills meet the challenge. And now that flow ensues. You get so absorbed in it, all things, the entire world falls off. You Even your bodily alarm systems, like your hunger, thirst, you forget about it because the mind has a limited power of processing information. When you are focused, the entire mind is taken by the thing which you are doing. So the, rem the remaining portion of your, there is no portion of the mind left to take care of other things. They all fall off. The bodily feelings fall off. That's when you enter the state of flow. You can continue in that. If the hunger, thirst, tiredness is not there to interrupt me, I continue with it for hours together. And that's the happiness, which is qualitatively much, much better than any sensitive pleasures of life. It is all limited. The way a scientist in his, while doing his research is enjoying. I can never enjoy the same way just by having a good meal. It will be over in just half an hour, but he can continue for hours together. So this speaks of the flow. So in spiritual life, the same thing, when taking the name of the Lord, it has gone from will to the devotion. The devotion has developed. Now we have entered into a flow. Now just doing it, just repeating the name, that becomes your obsession. This obsession now takes care of all other obsessions. They all fall off because all other obsessions 
have the limitation. What's the limitation? As it is all dependent on something external, there's always that fear factor, all of the obsessions. I may not get it, the object of my desire, I may not get it, whether it is relationship, name, fame, whatever it may be. And when I get it, I may lose it. But this is the thing, that contemplation on the divine. Once you have developed the liking for it, no one can take it away from you. The entire world may be against you. The entire world may be in turmoil. But you have developed that faculty to sit just within yourself, to be calm and take the name of the Lord and be in bliss. No one can take away from you. And that's how the flow ensues. And this at last what happens in our scriptures, the Samadhi, what the Samadhi is defined as? It's called Triputi Bheda. Triputi, Dhyana, Dhyata, Dhyaya. That when I'm meditating, there are three factors which always remain. Maybe other things have fallen off, but these three things still remain. That what? That I am meditating, I'm the Dhyata, is an object of meditation, my chosen ideal. And the connection between the two is the is meditation, is a Dhyana. So this three distinction remains. But you know, scriptures say, what's the Samadhi? At the last, when the mind is getting more and more focused, the other things are falling off. The last thing to fall off is our ego. The sense of I limited to this body-mind complex. As long as that is there, it is like the hub of the will. All our desires, everything are like spikes fixed to it. So now at last, this ego, which requires a portion of your mind, it is the optimal thing with which the mind is always fixed. That also is taken away. So that's why they say in Samadhi, you become one with the object of meditation. So your ego has fallen off. This Triputi, this triad of Dhyana, Dhyata, Dhyaya falls off. You become one with the object of meditation. The moment that happens, it speaks of whatever you're realizing. That's not important. Important is that ego has fallen off. This ego is the cause of bondage in the spiritual sense that we are that non-local consciousness. That non-local consciousness got reflected in the body-mind complex to create that sense of ego. And now seeing the reflection, I think I am that reflection. Agyana creates asmita. And then the ragadvesha, vinivesha, all other afflictions come. The moment that ego falls off, you go beyond the ignorance. And that speaks of the spiritual liberation. It can be in any way. That's why in our scriptures, they say, Sakala ya vimuktai. That even if you forget about divine, if you can with full focus sing a love song, that can take you to the liberation. That can. Because why? Because it's the focus which at last takes away your ego. That's the thing which is important. So that's why you'll find these definitions are so important. Sakala, this all this instrumental music, classical music. What you're singing is not important. How deeply absorbed you're in it to take you to that sense of tremendous upliftment. That's important. That can wash off your ego and that itself becomes a spiritual sadhana. So that's why you will find a spiritual sadhana as such, you need not have to uh, conform yourself to certain belief. Anything can take you. That's why Sri Ramakrishna used to say that even a 
ordinary person by repeating something totally nonsensical. He went to a his guru and the guru found that he is an idiot. So he gave, he just out of, he just jokingly gave some meaningless word and told repeat it. And he had that faith that he went on repeating and that took him to the realization. The gospel, Sri Ramakrishna said that Garol Mantra Shiddha Hoche. In Bengali they say, when they say useless words he was repeating and he becomes Siddha. So it's a faith which is important. If anyone from birth has that faith, if the Guru has given me this mantra, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt its efficacy. And I just take it that this alone is going to take me to the ultimate spiritual realization. Know it for certain, your play is done. So that's the important. That's why you'll find this song sometimes we find as if it sounds like apparently the song of a fanatic. Oh, just being the devotee of Durga to praise Durga's name. He has just saying all those things. No, it may be Durga, it may be Kali, it may be Krishna, it may be anything. The process is the how the faith gradually that's totally dissolves our ego. First purifies our mind and then dissolves our ego. Whatever was there as the past samskara doesn't matter. But that's why in English there's a proverb. Every saint has a past, every sinner has a future. That's why Bhagavad Gita starts with Vishada Yoga. That in our life, because of ignorance, all the things which we are doing, for that when the repentance come, it can be a turning point. And then I resort to the name of the Lord and it can take me to spiritual emancipation. So have faith. Let the dead bury the dead. What has happened has happened. Don't go on. Just uh, dealing, just uh, being uh, involved, immersed in the past. Forget about it. Don't dive, don't delve in the past. Let the dead bury the dead. What has happened has happened. I, from now, I know that the Lord's name is sufficient to take me across this ocean. The Lord's name is the boat which can take me across this ocean of samsara. With that faith, if you, if you go on repeating, that alone will be sufficient for a spiritual realization. So that's why Sri Ramakrishna is giving so much importance to that faith. The faith actually is a wonderful thing. It opens up it, the spiritual portal in our life. That we, uh, the, for, for us as an ordinary being, we never relate to the spiritual dimension of our existence. And that's why we find we don't get answers to the questions of life. We go on suffering. Once that you can relate to that spiritual dimension of existence through the name and immediately find that we find that is the purpose of life and it becomes more and more palpable. You find out the goal that either your perspective gets broadened, is no more narrow perspective and you start building up your life on that broadened perspective. So let us go to the words of Ramakrishna, the master continued, faith and devotion. One realizes God easily through devotion. He is grasped through ecstasy of love. So that's the thing. Devotion, faith leading to flow, dissolution of the ego, all the mental modules, they all collapse take and rendering you that spiritual freedom. With these words, the master sang again, how are you trying, oh my mind, 
to know the nature of God, you are groping like a madman locked in a dark room. He is grasped through ecstatic love. How can you fathom him without it? Only through affirmation, never negation, can you know him. So how are you trying, oh my mind, to know the nature of God? You are groping like a madman locked in a dark room. Almost similar idea we find, I forgot the name. There's an English uh, this, uh, saying, that's a, it's a very interesting saying that all the philosophies are what? It is trying, all the philosophies are like trying to find a search, a black cat. Is the philosophies are like searching a black cat in a pitch dark room where the cat is actually not there. <laughs> so, so that's what, because intellectually when we are trying to really uh, relate to the divine, it is that philosophy, at last it will uh, end up uh, making us as learned fools. That's what in the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna we find very interesting discussion. One day, uh, Naren was having discussion with Girish and where Naren quoted this, that where philosophy ends, religion begins. At the end of the philosophy, a person becomes a learned fool and then he goes on. Uh, that's he, that, uh, what you say, that search, he goes on his search for religion, for spirituality. So when uh, Naren was saying this, Ramakrishna couldn't understand because he knew, he didn't knew English. So he asked Naren that what you told, please translate. So when he translated, Sri Ramakrishna just had a, just a vocabulary of some 10 to 12 English words. One of them was thank you. So he told Naren, thank you, thank you. He liked them. That when you, at the end of philosophy, you become a learned fool. Very nice word, learned fool. That all, with all your knowledge at last, I have to start from that square zero where the one who has faith have started from the day one itself. The one who had faith, he did not have to go through all the reasoning to understand that by repetition, we can resort to first the neuroplasticity, which will lead to flow, that which we were discussing. He never goes through all those reasoning. He just simply, whether out of faith, most probably because of his past karma, he has developed with that, he has born with that faith. And from the day one, he starts. For us, we have to go through those, all those reasoning to understand how the, this reputation works. And then we start after spending so much of time from that, that the square zero where that one who has faith started from the day one. So mere inter, this intellectual understand and sometimes not only that, by constantly reading Upanishads and all, we have an idea that I have understood the essence of the scripture, that I am the self, everything is a flow, so I have just to observe. Let the life go on, I need not get attached in it, attached to it, that I need not be in the stream, I should be watching, I should be sitting on the bank of the stream and watching the flow. It's so easy to say, as Sri Ramakrishna used to say, Tablar bol mukhe bola shahoj, when you're learning tabla, the teacher tells you the rhythm. Dha dhinna, ta dhinna, dha terekete, ta terekete, whatever it may be. 
and he asked you to repeat. In five minutes, you just memorize, you repeat it. And now he says you play. It will take months. So it's so easy to say, but to practice, we all know how difficult. That's why Swami Vivekananda always used to say a story during his lecture. What's the story? The story of a stag, male deer. It was quite a muscular male deer. One day seeing its reflection in the water by the side, it was, it was just on the shore of, it was on the bank of a reservoir and seeing its reflection, it was bragging to the fawn, the young one. See how strong I am, how strongly built I am. See my limbs so muscular. And then suddenly that, that stag heard the barking of a dog. It didn't even see from a distance it heard. And immediately it started running frantically. The fawn also ran after it, followed it. After a long distance, the stag stopped, totally exhausted. And now the fawn asked, what happened to you? Just now you were so confident about your strength, your muscles and all. What made you run so frantically? What scared you? And then the stag replied, I don't know what happened to my confidence. The moment I heard the barking of a dog. So the moment I heard the barking of a dog, all my confidence goes. So in our life, all the challenging situations like the barking of the dog, it comes and we find all our studies has gone. So it's not mere intellectual understanding. It's what you have understood that even in Viveka Churamani, we find Viveka Churamani is a scripture of jnana, knowledge, discrimination. Uh, uh, this, uh, this, what you say, that's Viveka, uh, Viveka and Vairagya, this discrimination, renunciation. It speaks of that. There, we feel as if there is no devotion. But Shankaracharya is defining once one sloka is there, where he's defining devotion there, even in Bhakti Shastra. Because just mere reasoning that I am not the body, not the mind, not the senses won't do. That I am Brahman. This idea has to be repeated. Even a jnani develops a devotion for this type of contemplation. Aham Brahmasmi. That only can take him to Akhanda Brahmakara Vritti. Taking him to the realization. The same process. What you are believing is not important. It has to go to that devotion. So that's why he is also describing bhakti in Viveka Churamani. So that's the important. It's not mere intellectual understanding. You have to contemplate on what you have understood. That's why even in Jnana Yoga, the process is first Sravana, then Manana, then comes Nididhyasana. What it actually speaks of, Nididhyasana is Bhakti. How? Sravana, first you hear the truth speaking of, uh, spoken of in the scriptures from your Guru. And then you have to have Sraddha, that what he spoke is correct. I find there is gap in my understanding. But that doesn't create doubt in me that what he has been told is wrong. It is correct. I am humble enough to accept that I don't have, I am yet to develop that intellectual conviction. I have to cogitate upon it, mentally cogitate upon it till the doubts vanish. So Sravana should lead to Manana. That happens only when you have Sraddha. That what has been spoken of is true. I don't understand. Let me try to refine my mind. Go on thinking the pros and cons of it. And gradually your mind, all the doubts gets cleared and you develop an intellectual conviction. So that 
comes from manana. But that's not oh, that's not the end. After that intellectual conviction comes nididhyasana. Nididhyasana is meditating on your mental conviction till it takes to your realization. So sravana, manana, nididhyasana. So what you have that intellectually understood, you have to meditate on it. A bhakta knows that God is, that is his intellectual conviction, he meditates upon it. A jnani knows the self is, is his intellectual conviction, he also has to meditate on it. So that's why just intellectualization won't work in spiritual life. It makes us feel that I have progressed spiritually, but actually no progress has happened. The crisis of life, whenever there is a challenge, when there's a crisis in life, you will find that all this knowledge is of no avail. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say a very wonderful story that a boatman, an ordinary boatman was taking a scholar in his boat across the river. And the scholar now asked, started asking the boatman that, you know, that, that we have six darshana, six systems of philosophy. Do you know any of them? So the boatman told, no, I have never. I am just a commoner. I have never studied any of those philosophy. And the scholar started saying, oh, your life is then west. Your life is west. You know nothing of this. And suddenly there was a storm. And the boat started rocking. It was in topsy-turvy. And it was about to get drowned. It was, was about to capsize. And then the boatman asked, oh, scholar, do you know swimming? So he told, no, I don't know swimming. Well, then your life is waste. You are gone. So in spiritual life, that's the thing, that what we know is not important. Whether we know swimming, have the devotion grown, have we started that contemplating on the truth, which I am intellectually convinced is true. So that's the thing which has been spoken of in the first two lines. How are you trying, O oh mind, to know the nature of God? You are groping like a madman locked in a dark room. It will never, through all this reasoning, you can at last find nothing. He's grasped through ecstatic love. How can you fathom him without it? That love should take you to the flow, at last to dissolve your ego, to create a hole in the wall of ego. As Sri Ramakrishna told, you know that what all the forms of divinity are? They are just, this, all these forms are a hole created in the wall of ego. The one who is meditating on Rama, what he's doing, he's as if chiseling the form of Rama in the wall of ego. And when the chiseling is complete, his imagination is like chiseling in the wall. When the chiseling is complete, a hole has been made in the form of Rama and he peeps through it. He sees infinity, the infinite, the non-local existence. But as he's peeping through that form of Rama, the whole, which is of the form of Rama, he says, Rama is infinite. The one who has created the whole in the form of Krishna, he says, Krishna is infinite. Now, why this fight in spite of all the sincerity? Because we all have made only one whole. Sri Ramakrishna is the spiritual genius in the entire history that somehow he developed that tremendous curiosity to traverse all the path, not just belief, to traverse. And he created all the holes to peep through all of them to relate to that same reality and then come back and say, 
This, all these are nothing but the holes in the wall of ego. You relate, when you go to the ultimate, it's the same reality. So all can relate to that same realization. So he's grasped through that love. Whatever you believe, that's not important. That love can take you to that realization. How can you fathom him without it? Only through affirmation, never negation, can you know him. This affirmation that God is. Never negation means I'm just going on that I'm not the body, not the mind, not the senses. This all can give you a type of intellectual uh, understanding, but it can never take you to the deep, intense flow to really go to that realization, to uh, describe the taste of mango by hearing about it from others and to really taste the mango. Just the way this difference is, similarly, the intellectual knowledge and the realization has that type of difference. I can run, I can uh, write a learned literature about the taste of mango just by hearing from others. But do you think even that book really has any meaning to that person who has written it? Nothing. The day he tastes the mango, he will find these were all superfluous words. Just by hearing, I did cut and paste, nothing else. So this realization is the thing and which comes through affirmation, not just merely negation. So that's what in this, that words of song says, and Sri Ramakrishna is singing, neither through Veda, nor through Tantra, or the six darshanas. So nothing of them. So you have to go beyond them. Realization alone can take us beyond all the scriptures. It is in love's elixir only that he delights the mind. He dwells in the body's inmost depths in everlasting joy. And for that love, the mighty yogis practice yoga from age to age. When love awakes, the Lord like a magnet draws to him the soul. He it is, says Ram Prasad, that I approach as mother. Just see, these ideas were so Catholic. The same Brahman, the Ram Prasad, a mystic, a realized soul of Bengal, his song, Sri Ramakrishna is singing. What a nice words. The same Brahman, I like to approach the divinity in its feminine aspect as the mother. So I know it for certain. It is that whom I call the mother is the same Brahman uh, which has been spoken of in the scripture. He it is, says Ram Prasad, that I approach as mother. So this Brahma and Shakti, they are abheda, the same. The same Brahman is when he is appearing as a phenomenal existence. Then there is this, this duality. There is one who is beyond Maya and the one who is within the Maya. To go beyond Maya, you have to seek, take refuge on Maya Dhish, the one who is beyond Maya. And that's the one he is being asked, he's addressing as the mother. But must I give away the secret here in the marketplace? From the hints I have given, O mind, guess what that being is. So it is the same divine mother, the Shakti, who is the Brahman. There's, as Sri Ramakrishna in some other place have mentioned, that when a snake is lying motionless, as a co in coiled motionless, it's the same snake when it is moving. The same Brahman, that with the help of allegories, we try to understand the potentiality has manifested as Shakti. The Shakti is not something separate from Brahman. 
the same potentiality is finds expression is manifest as Shakti. To give a common example, as a student of science, we all know it's a common science that an iron bar, which may not be a magnet, it's not a magnet. Why? It has the potential to be a magnet. You bring a magnet near it, it becomes a magnet. What happens? How it becomes a magnet? That an iron bar has the potential to be a magnet. How? That all the magnetic dipoles in that iron bar are scattered. As a result, the one's north pole is in this direction, the other north pole is in that direction, so it's all scattered. So one magnetic dipole is negating the other magnetic dipole's force. So the net result is, magnetic result is zero. So as in the Vedic, in the Vedantic culture, we had the idea of Brahman. That's why it was the concept of zero was discovered in India, was invented in India. Zero doesn't mean nothing. Zero means balance. Four minus four, where the same quantity negates the same quantity, it is zero. It's balancing. It doesn't mean absence. It means balance. So where all the mag so this Brahman is what? Where all the polarities which we see in this world, they have resolved there. That magnetic dipole, that's all the magnetic dipoles are spread out. It appears to be inert, has no magnetic force, but it becomes magnet. The moment I can align all the dipoles in such a way that all the north direct poles are direct, directed in one direction and the south poles are directed in another direction. Now I will find if I put some iron filings, it's being attracted. That also is a particular pattern to form, a particular pattern from which we can fi find out the way the force is acting. So now I will understand the concept of Brahma Shakti and its expression. The Shakti is not chaotic, it follows laws. Just as we find here that the magnet iron bar becomes magnet and that magnet has certain magnetic laws it is following. That's the same idea in the scriptures is been spoken of as Brahma Shakti. Brahma is represented as Om, is the nomenclature. The uh, name for Brahman is Om. Shakti is Rim. Very interesting. That rim again finds expression as truth, as rhythm, as the worldly truth, not the ultimate truth. Rhythm speaks of the truth of the universe. What this rhythm is? That all the laws we find, whether it be moral law or the physical laws, they actually speak of the way that Shakti is finding expression. It's not chaotic. So from Sanskrit word rhythm, the English word rhythm has come. That law speaks of rhythm. So it's the same Brahman which is finding expression as Shakti. And that Shakti is worshipped as the mother. Sri Ramakrishna gives a wonderful example that in the house we find sometimes in the olden days, the traditional house, the male member, he is just there to uh, give his nod. The lady of the house is busy when some celebration is there. She is running about hither and thither, doing all the work. Now and then comes and reports to the husband, the master of the house, that this has been done, that has been done, and he just leisurely gives a nod. So Ramakrishna says, Brahman is that, the one like the karta sitting there, and Shakti is doing everything. So she is the mother, that's why she is the feminine aspect. That's the way in the house we find that the mother is the pillar of the house, that she is the one, she has if, uh, having control over the entire 
show which is going on. She's the boss of the house. So she's the mother. And that's how this, this song says, it's the same, this active aspect is not different from that, that potential aspect, the same. It is finding expression in a different way. So the same Brahman, I call it mother and I call on him. So don't you understand that? So that's the song. And you have to develop a devotion for that. It's so difficult to develop devotion of Brahman because it is without attributes. But when you think of the Shakti with all the attributes, it's easy to develop that devotion. And that devotion can take me beyond all the, this, what you say, the ignorance, beyond the Maya. So hold on to the Maya dish. If you want to go, get rid of the Maya. While singing, the master went into Samadhi. He was seated on the bench facing west, the palms of his hands joined together, his body erect and motionless. Everyone watched him expectantly. Vidyasagar too was speechless and could not take his eyes from the master. Just what he was singing, he himself became the living demonstration of that. That he was speaking from his realization that only through love and devotion you can go to the realization just by saying that his mind, he in some other place in the gospel, he says that the mind of a realized soul is just like a dry matchstick. It just needs a little friction, a little friction, and immediately it gets lighted. Our mind is like a wet matchstick. You may go on just rubbing it, nothing happens. But a realized soul mind is like a dry matchstick. Just a little friction, immediately it gets flamed. And that was what has happened. These words acted like that friction, these little suggestions, immediately is taking him to the samadhi. That is the mind of Ramakrishna, the dry matchstick. While singing, the master went into samadhi. He was seated on the bench, facing west, the palms of his hands joined together, his body erect and motionless. Everyone watched him expectantly. Vidyasagar too was speechless and could not take his eyes from the master. After a time, Sri Ramakrishna showed signs of regaining the normal state. He drew a deep breath and said with a smile, the means of realizing God are ecstasy of love and devotion. So his own words taking to that state and coming down again, he's affirming, acknowledging that it do happen. That's what has happened to him just now. This, that is, one must love God. He who is Brahman is addressed as the mother. So he's just repeating the same word. He it is, says Ram Prasad, that we approach as a mother. But must I give away the secret here in the marketplace? From the hints I have given, O oh mind, guess what that being is. Ram Prasad asks the mind only to guess the nature of God. He wishes it to understand that what is called Brahman in the Vedas is addressed by him as the mother. He who is attributeless also has attributes. He who is Brahman is also Shakti. When thought of as inactive, he is called Brahman. And when thought of as a creator, preserver, and destroyer, he is called the primordial energy, the Kali. Brahman and Shakti are identical. That's what we were discussing. In Dhamma, we find that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is saying in his words. Like fire and its power to burn. When we talk of fire, we automatically mean also its power to burn. Again, the fire's power to burn implies the fire itself. Just the way I cannot think of fire without its power to burn. 
they both are identical so similarly this the thing in itself and the attributes which we see as it's in the phenomenal existence they both are same you cannot segregate them one from other if you accept the one you must accept the other it's very interesting you know then in the scripture we find the word neti neti na iti na it is negation a gyani interprets neti neti as not this not this like shankaracharya in his commentary is saying neti neti as not this not this when you try to relate to brahman everything whatever i see is not brahman so i have to say not this not this what is something beyond this what it is not this but what it is so there then is there nothing sometimes we find that the scriptures say that it's just like uh, taking of the layers of onion at last there is nothing there is nothing called core so in panchadashi there is a nice, nice example they say that at last there is someone that uh, the one who is saying not this to the negating he is the self the doubter is the self so there is a nice story that there was a 10 person who were they were all common villagers they were going on some pilgrimage and they had to cross the river they were about to cross a river and the river was shallow but the uh, uh, stream was very uh, the the flow was very very strong so the, so they have to be very careful while uh, crossing the river otherwise they were the, because of the current of the stream they may be carried away so they all one by one crossed the river very carefully after crossing they thought that let us just uh we have misconfirmed that all of us have crossed so one of them told you all stand in line and let me just count how many of us are there so he count he counted 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 so there are nine people so now one by one all of them counted they, there's one person called oh, i think you are you have you are mistaken it seems we all are here there is you have mistaken in your mistaken in your count well you come here let me count so all were counting so but they all were the same result there were nine so they were confused then some passer by was going he was amused to see what's going on and he told we are missing someone or yes one is missing but we don't know who it is well, okay you all stand in line let me count now it was 10 so they all asked over that who is the 10th one that to this twam dashamasi that you are the 10th the one who was counting when he was counting so here also when we say that self is that this is self is not the body not the mind not the senses then what is the self the one who is saying that he is not the body not the mind not the senses he is the self so that's the i way by which uh, the gyani will be doing the discrimination but the neti neti by ramanujacharya his scriptures are very interesting he interprets it in a bit different way instead of saying not this not this he takes god to be with all attributes he is he will be uh, interpreting neti neti as not only this <laughs> so not means he is so vast just to give an example when the white light through the prism breaks into the spectrum of seven colors we say it's seven colors but actually the spectrum is limitless our eye has the capacity to see only those seven colors there are, are this ultraviolet light ultraviolet bands are there infinite 
infrared bands are there, infinite, we cannot see them. So this, what God has become with our limited senses, with our limited mind, what we see is just a small part of it. As even in our scripture, they say that out of, if the entire creation is one part, the Lord is actually four part. The other three parts are hidden. Just in your modern science, you speak of dark matter. So, so what, is, what has been spoken of in the physical sense, that in the spiritual sense has been spoken of in the scriptures. So it is something is beyond. So that's this neti neti. So that's both way of interpretations are correct. So when you are negating to go to that potential state, yes, of course, it means not this, not this. But when you are uh, trying to fathom the depth of that reality from the phenomenon point of view, you can never limit it. It's beyond all limitations. So that's how Brahma and Shakti are identical. The same thing which is beyond attributes. When you try to discuss it with, when you try to affirm it with attributes, you find no limit to it. So it's the same. Why God is thought as, again, then why God is thought as mother? It actually, it's not only about the absolute reality, it helps us because this emotion uh, which we have developed, the entire world has developed with the love of the mother. It's the most pure love and the strongest love. When you can relate to God as the mother, it immediately helps us because we already have that fund of experience of loving the mother. We know how pure it is and how strong it is, how sense of security is with that. The sense of uh, what you say that when Sri Ramakrishna gives these examples, wonderful that it is a, uh, that it's not the real mother, it's a feeling that mother is with me that gives us the strength, and he gives a very nice example. In, in the olden days, you know, the landlord used to be there, and they had a lot of maid servants. So one day, the son of the landlord had a fight with one of the maids, son of one of the maid servant. And the landlord's son was, of course, strong. So easily he overpowered the, this maidservant's son. So when finding no means to escape from the bullying of this landlord's son, at the last he gave a cry. What's the cry? Stop beating me. I will go and complain to my mother. This maidservant's son, to him, his mother is the most powerful. His best maid servant. Actually, she has no power there. It is in the in the landlord's house. Is a landlord who is a powerful, and the maid servant is just under him who is working there. But to his son, she is all powerful. She says, "Stop beating me. I will go and complain to my mother." So that gives a sense of strength, security. So use that emotion to relate to the divine as the feminine principle, and that will intensify your devotion. That way, there's a love which is so pure and so strong, and it gives the strength. So that's why this uh, taking the, this thinking of the divine as the feminine is so much uh, uh, powerful in all the religious traditions. In Christianity, we find the Mother Mary, the way she is worshipped. It's in other traditions. Somewhere it has been forcefully negated out. But it, in, some form or other, in some form or other, it was there in all the traditions of, to worship the divinity in its feminine aspect. But it gives a tremendous intensity, tremendous strength. If God can be he, 
why cannot we be she if we say he is limitless is beyond all sorts of limitations how can we limit him by saying he is only a male principle he is male he is female he is beyond male and female so the sri ramakrishna's examples are wonderful that a man was worshiping the mother kali and another man observed that there was a sacred thread uh, around the neck of mother kali actually the only the male brahmin they use the sacred thread not the the female never have the sacred thread so the man was bit uh, 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 what you say that uh, confused that how come you have put a sacred thread against the mother's neck uh, mother's shoulder and the one who was worshiping he told so you most probably who know what my mother is i am yet to uh, determine whether he is male or female or is something beyond that so i am confused so i have put the uh, the sacred thread so the idea is that so he is something beyond but for our convenience we take the form in which we find it becomes easy to relate and that can take us beyond the domain of all this phenomenon duality so that's what you find this this simple words actually has the entire scripture uh, what you say hidden in it encrypted in it in the simple words ramakrishna's words are so simple that sometimes we miss that how that sublime it is how deep it is how profound it is so that's why this discussion is like manana this like manana after shravana like manana so the more we can go on reading it and try to contemplate on it we will find that layers of understanding is coming out that's why these scriptures are called purana pura apina they never get old the more you read the more new meaning comes out with your your mental evolution the more understanding comes out of it so they pura apina vaiva they are never old ever aging never old you can go on reading and more and more meaning will come out of it so we will continue with our, our discussion again in the next class so with this we <coughs> stop our discussion today thank you all namaskars